So I got a, a, a text this morning, and um, so you guys may know about Acts of Mercy. They are a, uh, a ministry of Antioch, and it's an NGO and uh, more or less a crisis response uh, team uh, that, we are, uh, that we have our own chapter here, uh, and Antioch Waco does as well, and then other churches people partner in. Some of you have actually been trained in our Acts of Mercy training. And, um, you know, it's more so preparing a people to say, hey, are we ready when disaster strikes? Are we ready to respond and engage? Will the church engage, whether it be a flood, an earthquake, a tornado, um, war, are we willing to jump in and engage? And uh, many of you probably don't know this, but we've um, uh, sent some teams over to Poland and Ukraine uh, over the last year for different things, whether it be aid distribution or medical or food supplies, but also sharing the gospel and trying to figure out how to partner with local leaders in the area that are trying to uh, share the gospel and even grow the church in the midst of war. And um, actually got a message this morning. We have a team that just went out a couple days ago. Uh, there's five people on it. Three of them go to this church. Uh, and that team is in Ukraine, so this morning. And um, they are there uh, ministering and partnering with uh, a partner we have there on the ground who is really trying to plant churches and keep things going. I just wanna uh, read this. Um, it says, here's a bit of a rundown for today, talking about today. <clears throat> um, we will be attending our national partner's church this morning, followed by some fellowship with his people. Um, this church has almost quadrupled in size since the war began. He is excited for his church to see the people around see that people around the world are still involved in helping during this crisis, even though many aid organizations have been pulling back. Later tonight, we'll be having house church with his family and his family members. So please pray they'll be filled with God and be encouraged. I love that. Um, the church, his church, has quadrupled in crisis. Now, I read that to you, and I think it's timely today because we're looking at James, we're going through this series, we're going to be talking about trials. We kind of talked about that last week as we kicked this series off, about trials and the testing of our faith and really what that can produce. And today, we're really going to lean into temptations and kind of what that is. But I want you guys to know that um, just as Christian was even just sharing, as he was praying to close us up, there is a reality to where when we are squeezed and we are tested, there's an opportunity for us to press in and engage or to quit and give up and to run. And the church oftentimes grows and expands throughout history when it is under pressure. Do you know that? Has the church been under pressure in America the last few years? Yes. Way more than in the 90s. I'm, I'm like a 90s youth group kid. Okay, I was born in 82. So like the 90s, it was like everybody's got WWJD bracelets. Everybody's got three or four ichthuses on the back of their car. There's bumper stickers. Honk if you love Jesus. I love Jesus shirts, right? You get discounts at places for, you know, I mean, it was like, it was like if you were Christian in certain parts of Texas, let's say, it's like, man, the times were good. Like things, it's like, and if you weren't, it was like, hmm, you should be at church today, right? I mean, that was the, even sports teams, a lot of them wouldn't touch Sunday morning. Like there wasn't these tournaments Sunday mornings. Like, no, no, games start after 12, right? Like Wednesday nights, schools are like, hey, we're not touching Wednesday night. Wednesday night's youth night. 
Wednesday night's church night. We're not doing t- games on Wednesday night, yeah. right? But do you know that those days are kind of over? There is a pressure, right? Um, and the church is under pressure. And what's happening is that people, right, when we're put under pressure, it kind of shows we really are, which we don't necessarily like that side all the time, right? But here's what I am seeing too, is that when God's people are under pressure, that's actually when the gold is coming out too. It's the refiner's fire. It's when all the other stuff's going to the surface and melting away, and what's left is the purity. What's left is the potency. What's left is, oh, that's the good stuff. Now, we'd appeal back a few layers to get there, but that's what we're going for. I know for a fact, I don't have specific numbers today, but I know for a fact that there are tens of thousands of Ukrainians that have been coming to Christ, that have been attending church, that are seeking out faith in Jesus who did not have it before this war started. Because they're under pressure. People are dying. Their homes are being obliterated. And whatever your thoughts all about the war, that's not this Sunday. But the reality is when people are under pressure, the reality is you have to turn to something. And if you turn to the things that you thought were safe and comfortable but are now blown up or gone, what do you got left? Right? And so, you know, I have prayed this prayer before over my own kids, which is God do whatever is necessary to get my kids' hearts. Be careful if you pray that. Do what is necessary. Not keep them safe, not keep them comfortable. God, I don't want safety over eternal reality for them. I want eternity. So whatever you have to do, I trust you. They're your children. I'm simply a steward on planet Earth for however long I'm here and get to take care of them. Mom and dad are here. They are a blessing from you. I will care for them. But God, the ultimate goal is that I get to be with them in heaven one day. And so whatever that means, let's do it. Whatever trial, let's do it. Do not pray for the bubble for your kids. You don't want no bubble. (laughs) You want the fire to come and the refiner's fire and then to emerge. You want Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sons. I will not yield. Heat the furnace up. Make it hotter. I won't yield. My God will save me. But if he doesn't, I'm not bowing down anyways. Do you know that kind of resolve? That is the resolve that God is putting into the people of God now. There is a resolve which you need to know you have to get there or you will not make it. There's a lot of kids in my youth group in the 90s that haven't made it. Pizza parties, pool parties, playing silly games with a little bit of Bible. Now listen, my parents thankfully raised me. It wasn't just sending me to church. We had the word of God in my family. What a blessing. My mom has been a Bible teacher for 35 years. She is probably the most senior expert on the word of God that I am relationally connected with in the entire movement or elsewhere. She is deep in the word. And so the way that she parented was word first. I didn't see it at the time, but now I look back, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, I'm like wait a minute. I can see what she was doing, Right? Because she's saying, God, this is how I parent my kids. Let's do it. 
Church, we're under trial. We're under pressure. But what will you let it yield? The good fruit or the icky stuff? <laughs> we want the good fruit. James 1:12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. You see? You get blessed right there. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, the crown of life, it's not necessarily the like, you know, I know we're all into the British royal stuff. It's not one of those crowns. It's talking about this kind of wreath, right, that the Olympians or people would use if they win in battle or some athletic competition, one of those wreaths, right? But that's the illusion. People are saying, oh, when they have actually endured their race, when they've competed in the games, when they have made it through the war, that is the reef they are getting. It's not just, oh, you're, because you're birthright? Cool, you're a king. Mm -mm -mm. It's the endurance. It's the, you finished the marathon. You did the pentathlon. You fought in the battle and you came out alive. Here is a wreath. Here's a crown. Way to go. You endured steadfastly under trial. That's the imagery. Now, where else do we see this phrase, kind of life? I could be wrong, but I think it's only mentioned one other time in the whole Bible. Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life called Sobering Sunday. Sorry, I didn't write it. I'm just preaching it. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Man, that's a little easier to read than to actually live. I hope that I am worthy to be faithful unto death. No matter what comes my way, that I will not yield. Now, James... The book of James, pretty straight shooter, James is. And um, verses one through 12, he's mainly talking about troubles and these trials, right, that we will go through. But then he's about to shift and he's gonna be talking about temptation. And he talks about how temptation works. Let's go on to verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now let's reflect for a moment on last week, James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So let's look at, so James 1, 2 through 4 right here, this progression is more so talking about trials, right? You go through a trial, your faith is tested, then you're proven to be steadfast, and then that takes us to a place of completeness in God, right? And so in James Chapter one, verse three, is talking about we're being tested for our faith. But in James 1, 12, we're being tested for our love. Right, did you see that? It said, which God has promised to those who love him. That crown of life is to 
those who love him. But some people have asked, well, hey, hold on a second. It says God doesn't tempt anybody, but what about Jesus? Because he was baptized in Jordan River, and then it says in Matthew 4, 1, it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now remember, he was led by the Holy Spirit, right, into the wilderness, but the Holy Spirit did not tempt him. God did not tempt him. It was the devil. Now, I'm not gonna go all Greek in you because I don't know Greek. I just search the same things you search to understand it. But the Greek word for trial in James is the same word for testing is the same word for temptation. Uh-oh. Wait a second. Are we mixing our words a little bit? What's interesting is this word, pirosmos, is used for trial, for testing, for temptation. And so people interpreting it in the Greek, it's like, well, how do you do that? Well, what's interesting is you actually have to interpret it based on the context. So the context in which that word is used then helps you understand, is it being used in a positive sense or negative sense? When it's being used in a positive sense, it's about testing. It's about trials, because what it's saying is these trials, these testing are actually for your good, for you to grow, for you to be in character or to develop. And you look throughout the scriptures, you're going to see that word, P. Rosmos, used over and over. But in the negative connotation, when it's used in that context, is when temptation is inserted, meaning it's meant to lead you astray from God. It's meant to lead you into evil things. Isn't that interesting? Usually the Greeks have multiple words, and we just got one, but now we flip the script on them. Look at us. So he's led there by the Holy Spirit, but he's tempted by the devil. I just want y'all to be clear on the fact that God tempts no one, but God tests everyone. Write that down. Come on. God tempts no one. You need to write it down because you're going to be tempted to think God is tempting me. And you're going to say, no, that guy, that Sunday, said God doesn't tempt anyone, but he tests everyone. So when you think, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Temptation or test, what is it? Well, we're gonna get into that today and help you out. But what I want to do is I'm actually gonna show a movie clip, which I do like once a year. So here it is. Congratulations. You came on a good Sunday. Listen, it's such a heavy topic. I gotta lighten the load a little bit, Okay. All right, but here's the deal. I'm about to unpack for you the six-stage process of temptation. We're gonna focus on the temptation process. Why? Because I want to uncover the devil's schemes. I want us to be knowledgeable and wise about what the enemy is doing so that we quit being played the fool, right? I literally am so tired of Christians being played the fool, outwitted. It's like we're suckered all the time. Hate being sucker punched, you know? Hate being out with it. It's like we're made to be fools, but not anymore. All right, you 500 today, you're walking out as non-fools today when it comes to understanding the schemes of the devil. So let's expose it. Let's recognize it. Let's help each other out and calling it out so then we can be engaged in the testing and the trials and see God through it in a testing of our faith and love, but not suckered in to the temptation game. You got it? All right, here we go. This is a, a, uh, a spliced together video that we put together 
that's from the Chronicles of Narnia, all right? Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. I want you to be looking for, though, the temptation process that Edmund goes through, all right? Let's roll it. Wow, Narnia. Um, you know, I was preparing this message this week, and I thought to myself, I think C.S. Lewis read the book of James. And I just watched it, and, and you know, I, I want to pull you guys into this temptation process, and I'll kind of <clears throat> call out a couple of pieces from that. But, you know, um, you can see in this story, if you haven't seen that movie in a long time, Essentially, Edmund goes there. He gets into this place. It's now always winter in Narnia. The white witch is ruling. And it just creates this whole scene of him slowly being tempted and then being enticed and lured into something. And that's oftentimes what temptation does. And and then, of course, he goes on the journey and he gets his brothers and sisters to come. What you didn't see is when he goes back into the real world and he's trying to convince them to come with him and you can see this desire growing in him, right? It's, it's really this, this, this temptation to be king, this temptation to have all the Turkish delight he could ever imagine is leading him to even lure his own brothers and sisters into this trap. And then he reveals who Mr. Tumnus is. What you didn't see when he's chained up there is that, the, is that the white witch comes in and she says, hey, do you know who turned you in to Mr. Tumnus? And he says it was him. And just looked at him with this utter disbelief. And, and, and Edmund had told them that, you know, uh, Aslan was like gathering an army. So he reveals all these plans and he's totally betraying everybody in his life simply because he wanted to be king and some Turkish delight, Right? The hook was set and he took it. So I just want to unpack for us a little bit, even looking at that and for our own lives, what this temptation process looks like, okay? So first stage is temptation, okay? This um, uh, uh, temptation is a more or less a mixture of suggestion plus desire. It's someone suggesting something. It's someone or something being put in front of you. And the suggestion of it may not be tempting at all, but when you couple suggestion plus desire, then together that makes temptation. Now there can be a desire for someone else, for what they had. It can be jealousy is a strong desire, revenge, self-centeredness. Um, and all these things, it's whatever we give our attention to more and more is then it grows in desire. So the temptation is out there, but now stage two in this temptation process that ultimately leads to death is stage two is desire, right? And this is when you start yielding to that temptation. When you welcome in the suggestion, this is when the idea of it is actually played with a little bit. You see, the desire is not sinful to start, but it can turn into that, which is evil. It's hunger to gluttony. It's sexual desire to lust. It's earning money to obsession with greed and so on. You have to remember, it's when you cross that line that Jesus, by the way, in the wilderness never crossed. He was tempted by the devil with hunger after fasting for 40 days. He was tempted to worship the devil, idolatry. He was tempted to jump off a cliff and test God. And every single time the devil came at him, he responded with truth, by the way. He quoted scripture right back at the devil, 
right? The devil would say, doesn't it say, or isn't it like this? And he'd twist the words just a little bit. He's really good at twisting. He's really good at leaving things out, right? Which is how we got in the first place, going back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? He's always questioning God. That is just a cue for all of us. A red flag should go off. Wait a second. Somehow I'm, being, I'm questioning God's goodness, his character, his nature. Uh-oh, temptation alarm. It's happening, right? So temptation stage one. Stage two, desire. But then that goes on to stage three. We're being lured in or enticed in that word, right? And you have this, this, this fishing metaphor, right? The, the luring in of the fish. It's setting the hook. It's putting the bait out there. And this is how we draw prey in, right? If you are out fishing, my kids went uh, fishing just a couple weeks ago. And my daughter, uh, Gwyneth, who is uh, six years old, she really wanted to fish. And I think she caught seven or eight bass within an hour, which was more than I usually ever catch. She's like, wow, this is incredible. Now, you know, but you're asking, wow, how do they do that? Well, they got smart, right? They took Jimmy Dean's sausage from the freezer. They cooked it. They cut it up and put it on a hook. So Bash really liked Jimmy Dean cooked sausage. It's got to be cooked, though. All right? So, you know, we might have taken the hook, too. You know? But, I mean, they set the bait, and then you get the fish, right? And that's how you do it. And then guess what? You set the bait again, and they fall for it over and over and over. All the little fish buddies are like, hey, that one just got caught. What are they after? You know? And all of a sudden, we do the same thing. We're like sheep. It's like, Whoa, let's go jump off that cliff. Oh, let's go do that. Let's go do that. And it's like, why are we just following along with the crowd and keep getting set up for falling for it every time? Temptation is going to be present. It's going to be in our lives. And it'll change in its shape and the timing. But we have to be able to resist it and not give in. We can't fall for the bait. First Peter Chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, talks about this. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He is seeking someone to devour. That's the ultimate goal. Stage 4. So we go from temptation, desire, being lured in. Now it's conceived, right? You have this, this birthing metaphor, right? As full-grown desire, it then bears its own child, so to speak. And then that child grows up, and then it grows into maturity, and then it bears the grandchild called death. But that's what happens. And it happens over time. It's usually not just like in a day. Right, this temptation process usually happens over days, weeks, months, or even years into different things that then eventually we get ensnared in and entangled in to sin that is so destructive. In Proverbs chapter 6, 16 through 19, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, 
and one who sows discord among brothers. Now, I don't really have to unpack that for you. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> but anytime you read something in the Bible that says, here's six things the Lord hates and seven are abomination, you should probably take note if you actually want to live. I mean, I'm just, all joking aside, it's like, it's pretty straightforward. But that's what happens. The temptation then leads us down this path and a little white lie turns into cyclical lying, right? A little, a little scratch of this, a little taste of that leads us into full-blown and chained in a cold, frozen cell, eating nasty, stale bread. Like, that's where it leads us. It starts with Turkish delight. That I love that in the scene. It's just the little dwarf just chucks it and it's like, it was empty. It tastes good. I'm not so sure even that Turkish delight made it down to here. It's just, oh, deceived. He's hungry again. Can I have more of that? It's unsatisfying. Do you see that? That's what the devil provides. And by the way, I love it because the devil will try to convince us he creates things. He creates nothing. He is unable to create anything. There's God, the creator. He's a master stealer. He's really good at stealing. He's really good at lying. That's his specialty. He's the father of lies. But that's what he leads us to. He doesn't lead us into truth. He doesn't satisfy us with good things. That is God. That's what sin is, though. That leads us to this place of sinful living to where we are enslaved or in bondage to something. And then the final stage is death, the sixth stage. Death is godlessness. It's living without God. It's separation from God. It, it is what goes on forever and ever, and it ruins and it destroys. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that good? <laughs> the wages of sin is death, but there's forgiveness. But Edmund met with Aslan, who in the movie, of course, is playing the role of Jesus, right? And he's forgiven. And he's saying to his siblings, we're not going to speak of it anymore. It's done. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that? There's, it's over. Which means even if you get ensnared into temptation and enslaved, and you're now in this really dark, broken place, there's still a way out. There's still a way out as long as you have breath in your lungs. And there's still a way out for anyone that you know on this earth as long as there's breath in their lungs. If a heart is beating, I firmly believe that there is a way to turn to God. Sure, we'd like to turn to God when we're seven and have a life of walking the narrow way without all the destructive things. But God knows us and knows that each of us will be revealed to each of us. We'll have to go through different trials and testing. But he's still always there as the prodigal son story, as the father on the front porch, looking, waiting. Is he coming? Is she coming? I can't wait till he comes back. I'm here. I'm ready with open arms. Will you come? Maybe today. Maybe it's tomorrow. But I'm ready. My arms are open. I've not shut the door on you. If you have breath, doors open. Even if you were experiencing sin, habitual sin and brokenness, and guys, we could all get up here and tell our own yucky stories. 
We've got it. Some are more destructive than others, but they're all destructive. But Christ came and died so that we don't have to. So what do we do? How do we deal with this temptation process? Let's wrap it up here, next few minutes. What do we do? <laughs> um, well, you know there's, there's forgiveness in Jesus. And um, so what we do is simply this. Whenever we are caught into bondage or sin, or whether it's big or little, step one is confessing it. <laughs> if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but that's only if you confess to Christ Jesus, right? It's the if statement. You've got to come to him and show it all and say, Jesus, it's a confession. And then saying, Lord, forgive me. Now change my heart and change my mind and change my ways. It's not forgive me so I can go back and do it again tomorrow and then forgive me again, I go back tomorrow. Because there's something which we all cannot be the judge of each other, but God knows the heart. And there's a difference in someone when they say, forgive me, I'm sorry, and they change. And when they say, forgive me, I'm sorry, and there's no change. I'm not saying to live in perfection beyond those days. But just like a child, I need to see progress. <laughs> if you just got, if you just confessed for lying and cheating on the test, then the next time comes around and you're lying and cheating again the same way. I'm not sure anything's changed. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. The tree's got to produce that fruit. And so that's what he's inviting us into. But how do we do that, guys? We're not doing this alone, okay? Worship, word, prayer, community. It's not rocket science. This isn't new. It's, it's simple. It's what we say. This is what you do in your devotional time, okay? But like worship, okay? So how do we, how do we find ourselves not caught in the temptation to death trap, okay? How do we not do that? Um, worship, it's what we give our affections to. I love singing up here and with our team and, and life group are in that, but this isn't about having, you know, 12 hours a day you are singing. You can do that. But this is about living a lifestyle of worship, which is really about your affections and your heart. When we're worshiping, when we're singing, we're simply taking another form and expression of worship to God. But when I am choosing life and choosing to tell the truth and work hard at my job, I am worshiping God by living a life integrous and with pure heartedness towards him. When I respond with grace and humility to a brother or sister who confessed his sin and I love them, I hold them accountable, but I love them, I'm treating them like Jesus, that is worship to God. It is what I'm giving my affections to. It is what I'm giving my attention to. It is what I am, it's who I am partnering with. And am I partnering with the truth or with the lie? That is worship. So you don't want to get caught in that temptation trap? Worship. That way you're not distracted by it. The word, right? We have to have the word implanted in us, right? We need to make like word shirts and just, maybe we just take some of the Bible and just kind of weave it into the cotton and it's a little heavy and it's, you know, why's your shirt so heavy? It's got the word on me. I don't know. We need to get it in us, guys. We need to, this is what it needs to be. I am telling you that the word of God, this is it. Better than the podcast. Podcasts are interesting. But they're not all true because they're humans. I do not trust one human over this. 
I trust this over my wife. I trust this over you. I trust this over my father. I trust this over anything Billy Graham has said. This stands alone. All humans are imperfect. Do not get deceived. Do not take people's word for it over his word. You have to hear that. If not, you will be chained one day. And you may or may not get out, depending on your heart, if you're willing to really confess, repent, and change. You may be on that path. I don't want anyone to even get there. I don't want anyone to chain. I don't want to bust anyone out of Narnia's prison. You know? Because you have the power to do it now. You have the power to bust yourself out. Because you know Christ. The word, prayer, is having an established relationship with God so that when the crisis comes, it's not the first time you've talked to him in weeks. Right? I mean, everybody, especially in America, it's classic. It's like, oh, man, I really was praying about that. Really? You know, you, or, man, God rescued me in that moment. Great. Have you talked to him since? You know no, but in that moment, I really got down on my knees. Wow. So God is only a God of crisis. That's it. So God is only there to bail you out. It's kind of like with relationship with mom and dad. Hey, mom and dad, I don't really have time to hang out with you. You got time to hang out with my friends. But when I get in a crisis, you're the one I'm going to call. Hmm. I'd rather it be we have a constant relationship and then we can navigate the crisis also. That's not the first time I've heard it from you in months. We treat our parents the same way we treat God, right? We've got to be in constant communication with him so that we know him, we know his voice, and it's not confusing. The last one is community, the church. Of course I'm gonna promote the church, right? I'm a senior pastor. I am pro-church. But I was pro-church before I was a senior pastor. I was pro-church when I was a loan officer, a little mortgage company, and just eking my way through. I was pro-church when we just attended a young adult life group, right? I was, I was committed to serving and doing things I knew, and I got hooked on, man, Jesus Christ is the head of the church and the church is the hope of the world. I'm sold on that. Wherever I live, whatever I'm doing, I will always be part of the body of Christ, period. If we end up living on one of those weird islands out in the Asia Pacific and it's just us and this beach and it's super cool, then I'm gonna invite 50 people to come and do a church with us. That'll never happen for me, but I'm just saying, it was, it's community. It has to go beyond your immediate family, I believe, too. I believe God has called us to live in community beyond our immediate blood family. He's called us to walk with each other, to house church, house to house, meeting together. He's called to community. And guys, for many of us, if you will consider what your worship is, consider what the word is, if you're gonna put that in your life, consider... Um, how you're praying and what that looks like in life and consider the community around you, I'm telling you the temptations will not be that enticing. I'm just telling you. You know, if you put, if you put a beet juice drink in front of me, I'm not that tempted to drink that. Okay, now I know it's good for you and all that. I'm just saying though, just, it's not that tempting. But you put one of those like milkshakes, it's got a, I'm like, whew, there's a desire there. I got the desire for that. Oh, I want some of that, you know? I want sin to be like that beet juice drink. You're like, no, it's okay. I don't, even, I don't have to look at it twice. It's like, you could have it sitting there all day and I'm probably just gonna get more repulsed by it as the day goes on. That's what sin should be, just you know. It should be the idea of it is like, yuck. Yuck, yuck. Yuck, 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 yuck. Disgusting. Do you have that in your life? Are there things you're like, never? It's not even a deal. 
But you can't just say never. It's got to be, well, what are you inputting to fill you so that that Turkish delight, you're already full. I don't need any. I'm good. I don't need any of that. Why? I'm already full. I'm satisfied. Well, it's, but look at it. I don't need that. Whoa. Devil's like, shoot. Right? We want him getting frustrated all the time, 24-7. Coming after another Christian. Sorry. Sorry. Ha. I just, ugh. that's what I want. The church can come alive. We can beat him and we can put him over here where it's like, you are not affecting us. Sorry. Because we're praying, because we're worshiping, because we're in the word, we're in community, we're unified, we're confessing our sin when we do. So no, we're not going to be ruined by that. That is God's heart for us as a church. I'm going to invite the band on up to close this morning. Um, won't you guys just stand? So I went, we went a little long this morning. I'll take all the blame for that. But we'll wrap it up here. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I want you to keep that up there for a minute. I want you to look at that as we close up today. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Just as we enter into a time of worship as we close this morning, I want us to dwell upon the goodness of of God. I don't want you to dwell upon temptation. I don't want you to dwell upon your whole defensive posture, how you're just going to defend against that. I want us to be on the offensive. I'm exposing temptation and the enticement of it and luring of it and the death of it because I want us to be aware of it. I don't need you to focus on it, but I'm helping you understand that these stages are real. And if you find yourself somewhere in that stage, be willing to tell a friend or wake up to it and say, whoa, 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 I'm going down that trap again. I want to get out of that. And you know you got to get out of that is you confess your sin to God and then go to a brother, sister in Christ, confess it to them and get it out there. And it's like, great, we're going to deal with that now. That's the way out because we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So whether it is a trial or a testing or a temptation, I want you to know God is for you. He is trustworthy, he is true, he is good. He will not tempt you, he will test you, but he will always give you a way out whenever there's temptation as well. The Bible promises that. There is always a way out, y'all. Don't ever think, I'm totally stuck. I'm, there's always a way out. Even if you find yourself chained to a wall, there's a way out. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you made a way. You made the way you made a way for chains to fall. You made a way for us who are enslaved to darkness to be set free by the light. You took it for us on the cross. You bled and died. You had a crown of thorns in your head. You were pierced through your side and even your dying breath. You said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I believe he's not just speaking to those Roman soldiers who were piercing him and mocking him. I think those words ring loud for us. Father, forgive them. Forgive my people. For they know not what they do. I love them. I am dying for them. Because I want this sin to be dealt with. So they can know you. Have relationship with you. Be forgiven by you. Be walking in the narrowness of life. Oh God, do it. And as a people, we need it. We need a fresh wave of conviction upon our souls 
for the sin that we are toying with in our lives. Let us eradicate it and deal with it. Let us not be tricked by it or fooled anymore. And then let us be enamored with, let us be um, just in awe of you and your goodness and your divine wisdom and your love. God, you are good. (laughs) We need you to take over. Take over our lives. So come, Jesus, just as we close today, I just pray, would you reveal to everyone in the room anything we need to confess, any desire, anything that's enticing us, anything tempting us, whether it's big or small. God, we want to expose it just right now, Lord. Just, I just want you to share with him. How you want to do that as we worship? Just, Lord, here it is. Write it down. God, here it is. I want to expose it. Get this junk out of my system. I want to walk in freedom. And that's possible today. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.